For our scripture reading this afternoon, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. Somebody steal my sermon notes? No. Oh, I found them, found them. Everybody's going, oh yes, no sermon. (laughs) Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And you notice that last week we we start with Mark chapter 1. This morning we did Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 6. Now we're in Luke chapter 3, 7 through 14. And then next week we are going to look at John. Uh, it's not by design, but it's really the uh, when you look at the harmony of the gospel. So, the, to harmonize the gospels to get to see how all four fit together. There's a lot of repeated information uh, in the four gospels, and uh, you, you can work out how it works, how they go together, and then which text has the most information. That's how I'm selecting the text in this way. I'm using uh, uh, the help of a harmony of the gospels edited by. Uh, Gundry and I want to say Stanley, but maybe somebody else, uh, which is a review, revision of uh, A.T. Robertson's Harmony of, of the Gospel. And that's the, the, the sequence that I'm, I'm following here. So we come to Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Uh, this morning, we heard John score preaching, repent for the kingdom of God. Is the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We considered uh, what repentance was and the, the necessity of it to enter the kingdom of heaven. This afternoon, we will consider what repentance looks like in practice. So what we're going to read in the moment is the reaction of the people to the preaching of John. So John preached, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Maybe that was a summary of this whole preaching. And now what we read here is in having heard that message, People are reacting to it. So Luke chapter 3, starting verse 7. This is the word of our Lord. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance, do not begin to say to yourselves, we, are Abraham as a, we have Abraham as a father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. 
Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that you speak to us this afternoon. We pray that you keep us attentive to it. For us in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this morning I had planned an illustration that didn't work. And Eve Hoy had been willing to help me out with that. My plan was to go grab some grasshoppers, and she was willing to eat them to show how John the Baptist did. But, and they're available. You can purchase them, but I didn't find any that I would feel comfortable with Eve eating. So I did not want to put her through that. I only found ones that are really big. So that's, a, a lot of kids didn't know that, that a locust is just a really big grasshopper. Uh, and I didn't want to put Eve through that. Um, but maybe in the future we'll do that. And people will say, oh, just get candy ones and whatever. So I didn't know that was so easy to get grasshoppers or candy in the shape of grasshoppers and so on. But that didn't work out. But I was very thankful that Eve was willing to help us uh, with that. What I want us to consider this afternoon is John's audience, the people that he was talking to here in Luke chapter 3. Uh, as, as I said, this passage is also recorded in the book of Matthew right after the one we considered this morning. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most identical parallels in the entire New Testament. If you look at Matthew 3, 7 through 14, and Luke 3, 7 through 14, they, di- they are only different in two words. And one of them is the difference between a singular word and a plural word. So it's almost word for word the same passage in the two Gospels. The main difference in the beginning of the passage is in the beginning of the passage, because there Matthew, in his Gospel, identifies the object of John's stern name calling in the beginning of the passage. In, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, we read, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers! Now, John liked name-calling. He was not afraid of calling people names. Now, when you go to Matthew, Matthew's more specific in this particular case, where out of the multitude, he, said, he says that the, the name-calling was directed specifically to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Matthew, Luke is just more concerned about the multitudes coming. Matthew separates the multitude by saying some of them were Pharisees and Sadducees, and it's those that John the Baptist calls brood of vipers. So John here in Luke is speaking to four groups who likely heard his sermon on the necessity of repentance and now are responding to it. The first group is in verses 7 through 9. Those will be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The second group will be the crowd in verses 10 through 11. The third group will be the tax collectors in verses 12 and 13. And the last group will be the soldiers in verse 14. And what we see in this passage is the practical application of the message about repentance. And notice the, the part of the message that John was preaching is found in verse 7, when he says, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So we assume that John was preaching that message, flee from the wrath to come. And the exhortation to flee from the wrath to come, though directed primarily to the religious leaders of the time, fits anyone who is in the same boat as they were and trusting the same things as they are. 
So he's specifically talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But anyone who is believing and behaving like they are, then this message works as well. We are all to flee the rest to come, but motivation for the fleeing is very important. Though the religious leaders came to be baptized by John, they came with the wrong motives. They were looking to, at John's baptism as fire insurance. It's not that they wanted God, they just didn't want the wrath of God. It's not that they, they wanted Jesus, they just didn't want to get in trouble in the future. They're trying to buy fire insurance by being baptized by John. They're looking at, at it as a way to get out of future trouble, not as a sign of heart repentance. And those who think that they can approach God on their own terms, based on their own obedience to their own set of requirements, are in the same boat as the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's how they were coming to John the Baptist. And they are in the brood of vipers boat. Now, what is it to be a brood of vipers? Does anybody know what, what the expression means? Yes, the viper part is snakes, and the brood is what? Like the hoys have a brood of children, right? So it's, to have, it, it's, it's, it's the, the kids of. It's, it's the next generation. is the descendants of. And so the, to be a part of a brood of vipers, not only to be a snake, but to be descendant coming from snakes or serpents as well. And Jesus clearly says that to the Pharisees and Sadducees in John chapter 8, when he says, you are of your father, the devil. So when John is not just saying, oh, you're a bunch of slithery little things when he's coming, uh, to, when he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees that are coming to be baptized for the wrong reason with the wrong motives. He's saying you're a child of Satan by coming to God in this manner. The type of things you believe are satanic, are not leading to the kingdom of heaven, but the, the kingdom of, of Satan. And that's true of anyone that who tries to approach God on their own terms, according to their own rules, according to their own obedience to their own set of uh, rules there. And notice the two types of evidence that John the Baptist presents to substantiate, to, to show that his accusation that they are children of the serpent is true. There's two things it says. You are brood of vipers, and here are the reasons. And he gives two reasons. The first one, he says, there's nothing in your life that shows that you have actually repented from your sins and are now trusting God alone for your salvation. John tells them in verse 8, there's no, you, don't, you are not bearing fruits worthy of repentance. There's nothing in your life that shows that your claim of repentance is true. That's one evidence he brings as the appropriateness of the name calling, brood of vipers. The second one is, he says, you're claiming that you deserve to be accepted by God because of some sort of ethnic connection. In verse 8 says, don't come to me saying they're children of Abraham because if God, if God wanted, he could raise children of Abraham from this, these rocks. So these guys were coming to be baptized, not because they had repented from their sins, not because they were seeking God, not because they recognized that there's nothing in them that uh, make them attractive to God, but because, one, they thought that their 
lineage demanded something of God, and two, they had no fruit in their lives that showed that what they claimed to believe was actually true. In essence, John and Jesus are saying that anyone who relies relies on anything else than God for his or her standing before him is a Pharisee or a Sadducee at heart, and the wrath of God is coming for them. And if that's you, then the wrath of God is coming for you. If you're, you rely on anything besides Jesus Christ to stand before God, the wrath of God is coming for you. And judgment is coming, and it's begi- it begins with whether the people receive Jesus as whom he says he is. In verse 9, John says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This analogy of uh, those who claim to be followers of God with a tree or a vine is common throughout the Bible. We see that in several places in the New Testament. We see that in the Old Testament as well. In the book of Isaiah, uh, Israel is talked about as a vine or as a, as a tree. And the axe is to the root of the tree. And this idea of the axe being to the root of the tree is that it's ready to strike. It's ready to chop that tree down. And what John is saying is those who claim to follow God, yet their lives have no evidence that they repented of their sins and are relying on God, will be cut off and burnt. Remember what Jesus says just a little later in the Gospel of Matthew? Many will come to me on that day and say what? Lord, Lord. And he'll say to them, depart from me, I have never known you. So that's similar to what John is saying here, that the evidences, the fruit of repentance must be there in order for your claim to to be true. Repentance that doesn't result in change behavior is no repentance at all. Repentance that doesn't produce fruit is not no repentance at all. And Paul picks up on this imagery of the tree and the root and the, the tree being cut, up, cut down in Romans, where he talks about ethnic Israel being cut down. And so Abraham's ethnic heirs being cut down and Abraham's spiritual heirs being grafted in. And the people heard what John told the religious leaders and they were shocked. So in verse 10 it says, the, the people asked, what shall we do then? And it's important that you understand that they're reacting to what John told the religious leaders because if the religious leaders who are virtually perfect, at least that was the perception at the time, the Pharisee is the picture of the modern-day general. No, the picture of perfection. Well, nobody's seen the Pirates of Penzance or... Okay, all right. Anyway. Everybody send up a lap around the sanctuary. No. Um, the, the Pharisees were the picture of perfection. If they, are go- if they are a brood of vipers, if they are going to be cast in, in, into fire, what hope do we have? The people say, what shall we, we do then? Well, John replies to them that 
just keep on living a life that demonstrates repentance and reliance on, on God. In verse 10, they ask, what shall we do? In verse 11, look at the response. He answered as John answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. The crowds were coming with the right attitude, the right heart. And when it says, what hope do we have? What should we do? John tells them, live life like you had repented. That is the same kind of answer he gives to the other two groups. Instead of saying they should go to do great things for the Lord, as they thought of great things, John tells them that they should live obedient lives where it mattered most to them. Be generous to the point of discomfort, in verse 11 he says. The tunic was the equivalent of an undershirt, something that would go between the underwear and the outer wear. And if you have a couple of them and you know somebody that doesn't have any, keep one, give the other one to that, boy, that person. So if you see a need, feel the need. What are you saying there? Well, you have a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance is a heart that loves God and loves others. Live according to that. There, there, is a, there is virtue in living a more minimalistic life in which we generously give to others. This is a bit of a side note. This does not necessarily affect your standing by, uh, with God. But there's some advantage in, in living a minimalistic life that John is suggesting here as well. He only speaking the seminary exists today because of that. Two sisters, twin sisters, who worked as school teachers, one was a school teacher, one was a secretary, all their lives lived frugally. And at the end of their lives, on the salary of school teacher and a school secretary, Wise Investments left millions of dollars to be used in the kingdom of God. We were able to buy the seminary building with no debt, straight out, because they had the foresight of frugality so that they could bless the kingdom, the church of Jesus Christ. But the point that John is making here when he says, if you have two, if somebody that needs, give them, is to say, just live the life of a Christian. Just live the life that shows that things are not your master. Live the life that shows that Christ is your master, that you truly repented of your sins. And he continues in verse 12, 13, the tax collectors come to, to him and said, they asked him, so what should we do? And the answer he gives to them, if you're truly repentant, just do business in an ethical way. The, 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 the tax collectors were notorious for charging people more than what they, they should charge. They had a franchise from the Roman government to, char- to collect tax, and they had the authority to, to collect a fee for their services. And they were n- known for collecting way more than they should, and even ruining people because of that. So John tells them, true repentance looks like operating your business in an ethical manner that acknowledges that you love others. I hope you see here, he's not saying go and conquer the nations. He's not saying go and give everything you have to the poor and go live in a monastery. He's, he's not saying, no, he say go and live today, tomorrow, the day after as one who truly believes in God. Live, have an ethical business operation. Then the soldiers come in verse 14 and they too ask, 
what should we do? What, what should we do? What's the answer in verse 14? Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So the, the soldiers truly come with repentant hearts and, and they wanted to live out that repentance. What's, what's the fruit? Be content. Be content where you are. Now the soldiers would use their position to exhort, uh, to extort people, not exhort, probably exhort too, but to extort people. They would intimidate and threaten them till they give them money or some other assets. And John tells them, well, true repentance in your case looks like being content with your wages to the point that you don't resort to unethical ways to supplement it. John doesn't tell the tax collector, stop being a tax collector. He doesn't tell the soldier, stop being a soldier. Which is, as a side note, you know, kind of shoots down the pacifist um, the Christian pacifist idea that you can't be a soldier. But he tells them to be the kind of tax collector, the kind of soldier that shows that they repented and turned to the Lord. There are, there are not separate spheres of life as far as God is concerned. Every area of life is under Jesus' domain. And sometimes you know, we are willing to make great gestures for the Lord but we are not as willing to obey him in the small, everyday stuff of life. And that true repentance is demonstrated in the small, everyday stuff of life. And John's calling us to do just that as he prepares the way for the Messiah to come. Repentance is the key to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So today we considered John the baptizer's personal message. We have to do that, that because the ministry of John is so connected with the ministry of Jesus that in order to talk about Jesus, we need to talk about John. The next week, we'll start to transition to Jesus by looking at John's testimony of Jesus and Jesus' baptism. But for today, we see that John clearly teaches us that repentance is the key that opens the gate to the kingdom of heaven. He also clearly teaches us that repentance that doesn't show up in regular, everyday life, is no repentance at all. So Jesus is not calling necessarily you to do great things for Him. He's calling you to do little things for Him. The little things of everyday life, to live a life that shows that your repentance is true and that's bearing fruit in the 10,000 little moments of life. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you're a God who cares about even the most mundane things in our lives. Give us grace to be faithful to you in the little moments as well as in the big moments. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.